I love my little girls more than anything, and I said to myself, oh, no, don't, you can't, don't say that. But I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now, still believing in God, than have them grow up under communism and one day die But all right, welcome back to The Left is Dead episode something um i am your co-host james carey as always back here with jake anderson how you doing man ah pretty good man um hanging in there you know it's been weird that uh the last week it's funny because without like the liberals freaking out over news i don't actually know as much about what's going on yeah um yeah it's it's strange to live in the fucking post-Trump environment where, like, everyone was just consuming news constantly, you know? Right. It is very bizarre. and It does seem, there does seem to be a, almost an immediate switch. I mean, I know personally I have not been, I mean, I've also just been kind of, you know, absorbed with, with some other things, but I know that I haven't been keeping up with the news as much. Um, part of it is just because I feel like the first week directly, you know, Biden's first week, like there's just going to be, you know, he's just going to do a bunch of his executive orders. There, there's really no way to get a feel yet for like what, you know, what, what the tenor of his administration is going to be like. But, no, uh, yeah. but I'll admit I'm like happily mistaken well i i won't i'm not mistaken on these because i didn't make these fucking predictions so you can't say i'm i messed up but i am happy to see um a couple of things man i'm not a, a biden fan but i'm happy to see a couple of things like uh the he the you're not you're the, not a Biden. i thought you were a huge biden supporter shut the fuck Jim. up man but anyway uh, I'm happy to see the reviewing of all of like the fucking Trump arms deals that he made on the way out the door. I see he uh, Biden is like talking about cutting off the F-35s to the UAE, which uh, yeah, Trump was like really excessive with that shit, and it, it's just strange. You know, I didn't expect it because it's money for defense contractors, so I'll give him that one. But again, I didn't predict that he like wouldn't overturn it or anything it's just i guess it's good i'll give you that it's good to see that this was a top priority so wait i i'm actually not familiar that what it, what did he biden reviewed some arms deals that trump made on his way out he's reviewing a lot of the arms deals with the gulf states like the uae and saudi arabia does that does that include arms to yemen i'm guessing not what what arms for yemen arms for attacking yemen that is a whole other story biden has said that he would review um u.s involvement in supplying the saudis for the war on yemen but separately from that were trump's arms deals which were more like jets and patriot systems and things like that to secure a relationship between like Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Israel. It was all about trying to lock down Arab countries relations with Israel against Iran. So 
um, on top of like the regular arms that the U.S. supplies Saudi Arabia for the war on Yemen, you know, Trump made all of these big arms deals in the last few months as he was signing like the peace agreements and normalization agreements between like the UAE and Saudi Arabia. So I'll give Biden credit. He pulled back on like Trump's really excessive arms deals. That's not to say that he's cutting off the flow of arms to Saudi Arabia by any extent. But um, again, like the F-35, like that's Trump was talking about handing over like this project that we just spent billions on, man. Like you can't, you know, um, he was handing out really advanced shit to people who don't even, UAE doesn't even have enough pilots for the jets they own now. And that's not an exaggeration. But what's the thought process on why, I mean, why do you think Trump was doing that? I mean, do you, do you think that Trump really had some kind of uh, foreign policy he was perceiving? Or do yeah. you, as many people think that this is part of kind of a quid pro quo that he's been engaging in with various state actors for a variety of, of financial reasons? I think it was both about, well, there's a couple aspects to it. One is Trump was selling arms as he was, you know, he was selling arms to these countries who are heavily influential on the wrong side of things in the Middle East. And he was doing that as he was draw, you know, saying he was going to draw down troops in like Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq. So I think he was looking to hand over responsibility for the region to a couple of key actors. On top of that, um, as he says he's withdrawing troops, he had the arms deals to make sure that the, you know, the military industrial complex, all the defense contractors, Raytheon, and all of those groups, you know, all these companies could still manage to make money, even as he looked like he was doing some like anti-imperialist drawdown. Right. And third, these were bribes. Um, seeing the Saudis suddenly welcoming flights from Israel, uh, the UAE, Kuwait, uh, Sudan, all of these nations that suddenly they got off, you know, state sponsors of terrorists, they got large uh, weapons contracts. That was done in an effort to normalize, normalize relations between those Arab countries and some of those African countries and Israel, and basically uh, lock out any, you know, financial support for the Palestinians from anybody besides like Iran. Right. So you think that, that Pompeo and Trump, that the, the, the number one objective here with all of these arms deals was a consolidated effort to work with and protect Israel. It, it's that in a way. What I think it is, is it's building a counter Iran alliance where the U.S. could have been hands off. You know what I mean? Right, but what's the fun in that? I'm I'm just trying to think of what the what, you know. I don't for a second think that that Trump was anti-war. I mean, he right. did more drone bombings than Obama in one term than Obama did in two. I'm just trying to figure out like what in like what what I mean. What was their outward-facing objective? Inward, I mean, there's no way we can know. We can assume that this was, you know, there was a. a raft of deals that 
we can't possibly know yet, although some people have started to kind of unravel that a little bit. But like outward facing was just, just I mean, uh, that just seems like such a, yeah, no, I mean, you already explained it. I'm still just trying to get my head around it. But I, I just think that there's a disconnect between, there was a disconnect between uh, the Saudi and Arab leaders and Trump in that Trump was making these deals to normalize relations to like form this access against Iran, right? And then on the other hand, like the Israelis and the Saudis, they would never, I don't think they would ever go to war with Iran without the US being involved. But the US is in a position where like a major ground war, regardless of which party is in power, would be an incredibly unpopular thing, especially if you compare Iran to Iraq, you know, right, that would be 100 times worse. I mean, Trump was definitely, I mean, it definitely seems like Trump was escalating his own proxy war with Iran, uh, almost almost like a slightly less messy version of of what Obama did with Syria. That's uh, well. If you want to talk about Syria, that is Trump's like strategy. It is like hand the responsibility off to an ally because look at northern Syria. You know, besides like the oil fields where we occupy, Trump's strategy was like. I'm going to hand this over to Turkey. So I don't have to. So it looks like I'm withdrawing troops here and this is no longer my problem, but it's still managed by a NATO ally. Right. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause Turkey. Yeah. So he was uh, simultaneously achieving the optics of drawing down forces while also simultaneously making lucrative deals with, with allies in those areas. That yeah, and that and just gifting you know countries like Turkey the you know the opportunity to create more war, but all of a sudden you could make it seem like oh our hands are clean of this. And Trump really did it. And Turkey's a good example because Trump really did do that with them, and yeah. then he didn't move to sanction Turkey until the last week of his administration. You know, despite oh, yeah, all the violations. I mean, we we momentarily. I mean, yeah. I mean, we all saw what how Trump behaved when it came to uh, you know basically giving Turkey uh, carte blanche to you know attack the Kurds any way they wanted to. I know that you have slice slightly different interpretation of of that, but yeah, it definitely just I don't know. It just seems like a very like weird, and it's also just like funny to me, like. <laughs> You know, it's funny to me that Trump has so many supporters who are like 9-11 truther, truthers and then but they don't seem to care at all that, that Trump has been completely making out with Saudi Arabia, the entire his entire administration when Saudi Arabia is pretty much I mean, like we pretty much know now, like the main conspiracy involved in 9-11. It was it was Saudi Arabia state sponsored terrorism. Do you remember in the 2016 election, he said, you guys did it. He said, uh, Saudi Arabia did 9-11. Yeah, I mean, we just, we, you know, it's, we still don't know for sure who did it, but we definitely know that Saudi Arabia had a much bigger, I mean, didn't all the families sue Saudi Arabia? <laughs> yeah, Obama, right before he left, allowed... Um, uh, victims' families from 9/11 to sue Saudi Arabia after he released the 28 pages. Um, and but that's the thing, like Trump during the campaign, Trump was like actively calling out the Saudis, calling out Hillary for her connections to the Gulf countries, 
and rightfully saying like, oh yeah, these people are funding terrorism and they're partially, if not fully responsible for 9-11. And he said that during the campaign and then like what, his first foreign trip, it was to Saudi Arabia and then Israel. Yeah. But yeah, that's over. I don't know. I guess Trump isn't a yeah, thing anymore. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you, you know, giving some credit to Biden. I actually didn't even know about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the thing is with this first week, there, there's so much crap that Biden needs to undo, like a, a, an extraordinary amount of Trump's executive orders and shit was really does feel like he was just trying to piss off liberals like the a ban on on uh, trans people serving in the military mm-hmm. uh, like weird shit about like letting ivory hunters have greater access to mm-hmm. you know like it was just like constant like it, it was all it really did feel like because just- because trump knew liberals hated him that like he was just going to do every possible he was going to take on every conservative moonshot dream that had that had been thought about for the past two decades and be like oh liberals hate that well let me do it you know that that was his thing though he had nothing to really offer like the working class what is his main accomplishment it's tax cuts for billionaires well dude and yes good point that's the thing like he had nothing else to offer people like the working class or like middle class or even like petty bourgeois supporter of himself especially like in the pandemic time, he had nothing else to offer besides like yelling at NFL players, talking about how Oprah was very unfair to him. Um, Well, dude, let let me address this thing about his relationship to the working class, because I do think it is probably the most pivotal, uh, important. I mean, it's really, it's, it's how he came into power is this, this weird connection he made with the working class. I I personally think, uh, you know, white nationalist overtures has has a great deal to do with it. But I posted uh, something on Facebook like last week or something about, uh, I can't remember what the article was, but basically my point was that uh, Trump didn't do much for business. Uh, he, 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 he gave a lot of money back to the very top percent of the top percent of, of, of Right. of the rich so he served he he gave money back to the investor class um anything any republican uh, president would do one of my uncles who who lives in missouri who is a trump supporter and you know i, I love this guy growing up and I, I i guess i still love him I, I don't know him very well these days but he um you know, he's a Trump supporter and he's never really commented on any of my posts before. I've, 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 I've had one, a couple blowouts, not blowouts, but a couple of encounters with other relatives from that same family about Trump. And I've tried to avoid getting into like, you know, family arguments and stuff like that. But um, he, he, he posted something interesting as a comment um, and he wrote it pretty respectfully, but he, he basically said, you know, under the four years of Trump, my 401ks have been higher than they've ever been before. That was his first point. And then he listed a series of other points, most of which, all of which were debunkable, including the fact that he brought down the deficit, which we know is a complete and total right. bullshit, that the, the deficits, deficits never been higher than, than under Trump. 
um, you know, things about unemployment, which of course we know is definitely wrong now after COVID. Before COVID, you, you, Trump would, I mean, Trump would have been reelected were it not for COVID because uh, he had these kind of, in my opinion. Oh yeah, even if he'd gotten right? one more check through illusory economic metrics that allowed him to make it sound like he was good for the environment. But in, so I, re, I reply back to my uncle uh, debunking all the other things as politely as I could. The, the 401k one was interesting to me. Uh, ultimately, I mean, my, my, I'm not an econom, uh, economist. I don't know that much about that stuff. Uh, 401ks, I only know about simply just talking, talking about it with my dad. My, my gut feeling is that like larger term economic policies probably don't affect 401k fluctuations that much like within a few years. Uh, and, but I don't know what, what, what you think about that. I mean, did, did, did Trump do something that helped? He's always blathering about 401ks. Sure. Change That's trail. true. Yeah. I mean, but did, because did, it's a 401k, you know, it's, Let's start with explaining that the 401k is a replacement for a fixed pension. You know, a fixed pension was something like right here in Michigan. If you worked for the UAW, you, you know, you had like 30 years, you're out and you have a certain amount paid to you every week to live on. That's like a certain percentage of your salary, your average salary based on the time you worked for like say GM. Right. And then in the 80s and then really into like the 2000s and everything um th those fixed pensions were replaced by 401ks now 401ks are uh typically managed by like hedge funds and things like that so what you have is a retirement account which is completely tied to the stock market so technically yes trump did boost 401ks but if you want to talk about the last year of Trump boosting 401ks, that was done through like trillions of dollars in bailout money given to the, you know, right. to the so, top companies. Yeah. So, so yeah. yes, your 401k is higher, but it's come at the cost of these billionaires becoming exactly. richer. That's exactly what I said, which is that in, in service to boosting the, the, you know, $100 million, billion dollar class assets, Yes, there was some kind of collateral trickle down uh, into 401ks, but ultimately that's come that that comes at the expense of uh, a great number of, of of social safety nets that are not being invested into because that money is being spent on on the rich. And it's not only that; it's the issue of if you retire and say uh, an economic crisis on the scale of 2008 hits your 401k is completely wiped. That happened to, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of retired workers in the United States after 2008. Yeah. Um, a lot of people lost their pensions. Their 401ks became completely worthless because rather than pay into a pension fund, which pays out workers at the end of their, you know, term of service, they were putting money into these hedge funds, which ended up boosting stock prices falsely and that all came crashing down in 2008 and left a lot of people with fucking retirement funds that were completely worthless, even though they'd paid into them their whole life. Right. Yeah, it's tragic. And speaking of which, I don't know if you've seen this, but if anyone wants to watch a great documentary on, on that 2008 crisis, this uh, documentary called Inside Job 
is is pretty phenomenal. Um, side side note, uh, I'll have to watch I, it. I, speaking do a of movie episode of of hedge funds, uh, maybe this is too big of a sudden departure from what we're talking about. Oh, but man, I did want to talk. Uh, I did want to get your take on. The, the GameStop thing, which I don't know much about, but I, I guess let's not let's not shift so quickly away from 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 Trump uh, right now. I think, uh, yeah, I mean Biden's done a lot of executive orders this week, and a lot of it has just been kind of deconstructing some of the most some of the most like obvious, visible, um, conservative uh, pipe dreams that that Trump enacted. You know uh, the Muslim ban, for example, right. uh, 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 trans people not being able to serve, and and there's actually there's literally dozens of other. I mean, he's he's already done like thirty or forty executive orders, Mo- like the like about eighty five to ninety percent of them w- relate to COVID, right? Uh, but I don't know. Were there any other things that caught your eye that that, that Biden has done or that that Trump has done in the past? I mean, Trump really hasn't done anything. He's been pretty quiet, strangely enough. Well, I don't know. There hasn't, like you said, it's been mostly reversing things like the trans uh, ban for the military and stuff like that. A lot of the just like really excessive orders that that are really against like the liberal and like basically the whole liberal consensus, you know, whether it be a, a moderate quote unquote Republican or whatever. Like Trump did take things to some extremes that like um, – the status quo wasn't comfortable with and i think biden on doing that it's just nuts why why it's so transphobic it's just like i don't i don't again though that's that's all he he was a typical republican president all he had to offer his followers was like red meat in the cultural war right yeah you're right i think that was a huge that's all he had um so but my i mean i don't know because i don't follow this as closely as you what's been the reaction of like the extremists at this point well here's the thing man at this point uh one of the weird crazy things that happened in this past in in the last two weeks of last week of trump's term is that the the insurrection had this effect of uh just uh fast tracking this train wreck of the QAnon and the hardcore extremist maga conspiracy theorist narratives um, and, and essentially, it, it basically got um, every major QAnon person kicked off of Twitter, Yeah, including our, our guest, Martin uh, Geddes. Oh, nice and, peace, uh, Martin. And, 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 I'll you know, put in so, taps here for you, Martin. That was where I followed them. And it, I mean, I haven't, I, I follow some Twitter accounts, like for example, Parlor Takes. It tries to keep track. Uh, Parlor Takes and also uh, Copium MAGA or MAGA Cope or something <laughs> like that, that, that kind of keeps track of, of, of accounts on Parlor and Gab and things like that. So that's, that's where I'm keeping up with it. I, I do have a Parlor account. I just, I haven't had the time or the inclination to, to really want to focus on that. I followed them for a couple of years now. And I feel like at this point they, they, they are ideologically, they're completely defeated. And I think almost anything they're doing at this point is just trying to save face and restructure a narrative. And 
I, mm. I ain't interested in what they're saying, but it's it, it was already so pathetic and delusional that I don't really want to spend the time to keep following. It, it, it's like once you watch a, the end of a great tr movie trilogy and you, you don't necessarily want to read the fan fiction that goes on afterwards because it's like you feel like you saw them there like I don't feel like there can be like when when Darth Vader picks up Palpatine at the end of Return of the Jedi like you can't beat that as a climax and in the same way I don't feel like you can beat Trump like and his people inciting an actual insurrection on Congress with a guy named the QAnon shaman dressed up like a Viking warrior actually like you know it's just like you cannot get a more climactic crazy ending to that i'm you know yeah i'm just curious like okay like we're familiar with the, like the idea of like when prophecy fails and shit right and at the same time like the q anon community or like and maybe it'll be another anon actually that comes out of this but the the whole thing depended on Trump being like this omnipotent fucking genius, which is hilarious to think of because the guy's like rotted his brain with like Diet Coke and fillet of fish for fucking thirty years. That, that's not how but, his brain rotted. He's a he's a fucking sociopath. Either way, the chemicals he's putting in his body are not okay, especially for a man of his age. But but still, that's not the fucking point. The point is that they like. These psychopaths literally fucking, um, that was a god king, man. You know, yeah. this was a completely competent, omnipotent, uh, just absolutely like, you know, he was totally concerned with like his loyal subjects. And I don't know, I guess maybe they'll want him to run again in 2024, but like, well, where the fuck do you guys go now? I, I'm. It's sad that Martin's off Twitter because I'd like to hear what the fuck he has to say because I'm yeah, sure he's got he's some gonna, great excuses. And he's going to come back on in March. I I tried to get him to come back earlier. Uh, sounds yeah, like they got to get ready. They got to get ready. You got to repackage the narrative. Yeah. Uh, you know, I knew he would be wrong. I mean, I, it's 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 kind of like the oh, thing oh you knew he'd be wrong about the military coup <laughs> and the digital coup. You yeah, knew but he, how did you guess that, Jake? He was, no, but, but I mean, Jim, the, my, my point was more, not so much just that, but his predictions for <laughs> three years were about, you know, he was predicting indictments, then they were predicting D-class. Yeah. I mean, there was, and... Uh, well, the Pope is dead. Predictions, you know, and obviously, yeah, they, they were uh, bound to be wrong, but this was such a powerfully confident movement that it was, it's almost just like cinematic. Like they really turned themselves, I mean, they kind of self-actualized this movement that that went too far. And now they've kind of outserved what they can even accomplish at this point. Like they can't- I mean, They're scattered I, to the wind. They have no central narrative anymore. I think yeah. that's why Martin needs so much time because there is no like- right. Before there was at least like the meta narrative that Donald Trump is like the savior, you know. Well, and that yeah, that is I think probably definitely like there's so many things from this era to, to talk about, but the lionization and the you know 
romanticization of of this man in this ultimate like you said god king complete who, fucking is, moron like a uh, ultimate working class champion um the ultimate you know they really turned him into this godlike figure and i i really think that is like the the story of this time is that how one side could hate a man so much and the other side could love a man so much it's frankly kind of disturbing and you know i know like i said from the beginning that the comparisons to nazi germany were overwrought they were almost always invoked uh, needlessly and irresponsibly. But I will say that given what we saw in the final weeks and what we, I, I knew was going on with how devoted his people were, the comparisons to like paramilitary brown shirts in the population, uh, which is you know basically what helped Hitler gain so much power, look, it, this is a very different historical context. You, you really cannot compare the two situations, but given the right circumstances, um, this really could have turned into something like that. And I think that to me, that, that I believe that to be true, which is that no, this did not turn into a full scale like fascist genocide, but it could have, for example, if, if there had been like a terrorist attack under Trump, if, if let's say, right. let's say not even Middle Eastern, if there had been like a, a, a Central or South American person who had who had done or was accused of doing a terrorist attack, I, I think you would have we would have seen a mobilization that made the war on terror look tame by comparison, and I think you really could have easily had um, internment of of those populations within the country, which yeah. were already kind of happening. And if you, I mean, you think about the um, so-called illegal immigrants being detained, being imprisoned, like that was already kind of going on. Can you imagine if there had been like a major terrorist attack that was blamed on that? Like there's no telling what Trump could have done and there's no telling what his supporters would have done in a situation like that. The thing is now that I worry about is um, the idea of this new designation of like terrorists or like hate speech yeah. and things like that. Um, I've noticed, yes, the Q people are all gone. The Proud Boys are all gone. But at the same time, socialists are being deleted. Um, you know, state news agencies from American target, like nations targeted by the United States are being taken off of social media. Uh, I worry that the ban in reaction to the what happened at the Capitol will end up also affecting people like us in the oh, long run. Oh, it definitely will. I mean, it happened after Clinton lost. We, we've talked about this. Right. Time, yeah. There was an immediate crackdown on alternative media in, in, a, in a ostensible war on so-called fake news or misinformation. Yeah. That's wild because if you didn't pay attention four years ago, like the the alternative media landscape right now is completely different than what oh it my was. God. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's it's insane to think about because at the time, like the fucking anti media and like free thought and stuff were dominating so much. Yeah, and it's like there were like 
there were responsible arbiters of that. For example, our friend Nick, who mm -hmm. will eventually be on the show, uh, owner of Anti-Media. There were responsible brokers like him. And then there were people that I don't think were as, as responsible and definitely posted uh, like misinformation. Yeah, and people who love fucking beaver vendetta masks too much. Right. You know, and so that was, yeah, the state is always going to be there to, they're not going to let a good opportunity go to waste. So right. there's, if there's a chance to, you know, clamp down on power, whenever there's a public sentiment, it's hard enough manipulating the public. But if the public automatically comes to a certain conclusion, of course, they're going to use that as an opportunity to clamp down. Now, at this point, I don't know. I, you know, look, like, we've had this argument before, not we've had this debate before as to like, what constitutes hate speech, what constitutes uh, violent uh, incitations. But uh, I think it's hard to argue at this point, based on what we saw in the the days and even the months leading up to the election when it comes to the, uh, you know, the attempt to kidnap uh, your own governor in Michigan. Um, <laughs> and, and then what happened at, at, at Congress and some of the other plots. I, I think it's hard to argue right now that, that, that there weren't real world um, uh, terrors that, that manifested from the QAnon. Oh, yeah rhetoric and I think it's hard to argue that that a lot of that stuff wasn't uh, inciting violence MAGA rhetoric mixed with like conspiracy rhetoric I mean a guy blew himself himself up in an RV I, I I'm not denying that should happen you know it did happen um, one thing that thank God for all of us that the right doesn't understand because they won't actually pick up a book by Marx is uh, material conditions and that you can't have a revolution unless material conditions are correct. You can't just walk into the Capitol through the velvet right. ropes and expect the regime to be overthrown. Right. You know, the, the, the American system as it stands now, yes, it's weaker than it was 70 years ago, but this is still a very strong like institution i mean we are still a world power you're not the people like crying that they got tear gassed during what they thought was a revolution is hilarious to me oh, because it's, it's like a pathetic waste of of a revolution yeah it, it's like dude, this is a revolution anytime it's uh the vanguard is someone holding a confederate flag uh crying that's yeah that's not the revolution we want that's not uh, um, that's not an interracial or multiracial you know uh, movement with solidarity with the working class this this was this was a white nationalist uprising that's what it's it was. just pathetic to see the idea of these people who think of themselves as like these like revolutionary dipshits and then they go to this fucking capital and like one of them gets blasted a couple get fucking tear gassed and there's video after video of them crying out on the capitol steps like i was here for trump i was gonna overthrow the i was going to overthrow the united states government yeah and then i got tear gassed and now i'm sad yeah they're gonna they're gonna learn the hard way for for some of these people it looks like they're not prosecuting or arresting um 
all of the people that were there, which I didn't expect them to. Right. Uh, at this many. point, there's been like 130 arrests. And my guess is that they're probably only going to charge some of, of the more egregious offenders. Those are probably the only people that are going to, that could spend like a decade in prison. But there's so, definitely, but they're definitely, I mean, it's hard to have sympathy for them at, at this point because, uh, I, I don't know, go ahead. I lost my train. Yeah, I just, them and like the streamers will be punished. The people who really flaunted it, like, um, in fact, on the other end of our right-wing guests, Nick, uh, the proud boy from Hawaii, has become very disenfranchised over the last few weeks. Right, with and, and so the tell federal government in general, because Nick, for for anyone who's for the five people that are listening right now, just kidding. Uh, we get more than that. Don't be fucking modest. I know, but Nick. So Nick was. We had a, a proud boys guy on, and Nick. Uh, you know, listen to the episode. We, I, I tried to be hard on him, whatever. Anyway, the point is, Nick was part of, he was at the Capitol. He was, there's a picture of him smoking a cigarette <laughs> and uh, he was arrested. And you, you've had, this is Nick Oaks. Yeah. And I know he probably can't, no. he, he Wait, said he can't discuss elements of it, but, but what has he said to you so far about what his situation is? I mean, he's just been, he's only hit with like a um, a misdemeanor, like illegal entry or something. But like I said, they've taken his passport. He's paying a lawyer 50K. The DHS has his phone and I'm sure they're going through it to try to connect him to any networks or anything. Um, I think that, you know, his excuse and you'll laugh at this because many of our friends have tried this. Uh, his excuse was he was a journalist. And it's funny if they don't consider you a journalist, as in like you don't have a CNN lanyard on, that excuse does not hold up in any court. They do not care. Right. And he is starting to come to the grim realization that they do not fucking care what your intended purpose was. You're an average citizen. You don't have a fucking say in what your intent was. You know what I mean? Right. And that's how it should be. I mean, how many thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters got arrested in the past year? Like thousands. Thousands. He's, he's butting up against the system, like the actual establishment, the actual state. And it's like even it's like private apparatus, you know, like the private companies that protect the state as it exists as it exists now like you can't just call yourself a journalist that's reserved for people who do propaganda for the state right you know yeah you and that great point and that that's probably what is most fascinating to me about uh watching these people get arrested and anticipating what what the future holds for them is that we really are seeing some people who were uh you know, in many, in many cases, they were like delusional and, and, and kind of childish with, with, with someone like Nick, what, uh, Nick Oaks, it's going to be interesting because this is someone who he, he knew what he was doing and he knows what he thinks. And so this is essentially someone who for years has been flirting with this idea of, of an insurrection against the state. Mm -hmm. And what this is, is seeing 
that delusion meet head to head with the actual apparatus of the state and what happens when you push things too far. And they're, they're not gonna get any sympathy and they don't deserve any sympathy. They, they really don't deserve any sympathy. Like if, like there are real revolutionary movements out there right now. And if they had done one-tenth of what that group did on the Capitol that day, there would have been widespread immediate arrests and, and relentless prosecution. Oh. They, they were banking on their white privilege and they fucked up. Let me put it like this. I don't want anyone to have to deal with the fucking federal government. I don't want the FBI to ever score a win. But at the same time, for all of those people who were in the Capitol, I would like to say, welcome to the fucking club, you fucking assholes. Welcome to the club of having fucking Stingray monitor all your fucking cell phone communications when you're gathered in a group protesting. Welcome right. to the club of having your shit, shit searched every time you go through a fucking airport and your hands swabbed. Welcome to the fucking club of them fucking asking you questions, asking you about your fucking connections, and asking you where you've been. This is how it's been for leftists. This intimidation has fucking been regular for us. So right. I don't wish it on anyone, but welcome to the fucking club. And you earned it with us, assholes. And leftists have done one thousandth of of the domestic violence that right winger extremists have in the past you know even if you want to go back to the 60s man even if you want to even count in 60s movements leftists have still killed or been responsible for like such a low fraction of deaths compared to right-wing extremists it's not even funny because we know we're not going to die when the fucking task is impossible right we're not idiots we're not going to fucking die for something when it's like, hey, I'm living in the prime of the empire. I, like, I should just kill myself to try and end this. Fuck that. Yeah. Like, yeah, some white nationalist, Christo-fascist wet dream. But I, it, I, it's always fun talking to you about, like, state power because ultimately, you know, you... Uh, well, you, I want it. You want it. Exactly. You, you want the the best version of it, which... You know, I can imagine a world with anarchy in a thousand years. <laughs> right. So imagine a world with, uh, I, I guess, a, a, a well-run state with a populace that isn't suffering from widespread mental illness and socio sociopathic delusions. I can imagine that working. I think it's going to take some time. But when you critique groups like the FBI and, and, and you know, whatnot, law enforcement, mm -hmm. I guess... And you know, we've talked about this before, but I guess like, surely you don't think that there is actual remedy for that right now. Like you don't, you don't believe that a state that uses groups and agencies like that. I mean, do you really think there's a way to have a, a just state right now with, with groups like that uh, doing law enforcement? Or do you think that, I mean, basically we're fucked right now. And uh, like, I think we're fucked right now until people evolve to, uh, you know, culturally, uh, morally, uh, to be better people. I, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't well, think a just government is possible, right? Let now. me explain this in, in the best way that I can in like a short time. I understand 
my issues with the fucking state in its current existence seem contradictory to my ideas for the use of a state. Now, what I think a state should be, first off, is predicated upon a complete removal of the working or of the ruling class, of the bourgeoisie, of the ownership class. Those people will be excluded from government. Those people will never be allowed to have influence and their resources will be redistributed among the state, making them public property. Now, afterwards, that government has a responsibility to punish those who have caused immeasurable amounts of human suffering. Am I arresting Martin or Nick? No. Am I arresting Jeff Bezos? Yes. Am I arresting your local, like, fucking water commissioner who let, you know, like, the Flint water commissioner who let lead fucking leak into all of these homes? Yes. What I'm using the state for, there's a different class character to the state. The ownership class, the bourgeoisie, they no longer have a role in the state. And this is a state organized around the working class. It's a state that operates through democratic centralism and a vanguard party. There is democracy voting for all positions. You know, like I believe in things like the Soviet system, like your fucking factory is democratically administered. You know, who is a supervisor and who gets promoted and all those things. Those are democratically decided. And all of those things feed up into the eventual central party. That party is a workers' party, it is the vanguard of a workers' revolution, and it's that party's job to take out vengeance on the old regime and wipe out the damage they've done and get justice for their victims. Would it be the FBI? No, it probably wouldn't be called that. But would there be some agency that puts together the crimes of these people instead of just letting them get away, as I assume anarchists would? Okay. Great, uh, excellent explanation. And I, I actually, you know that I agree with you more than I agree with, than I don't agree with you. But just to play devil's advocate, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. So you talked about how the elite, uh, you know, people who have benefited from this system, the owner class, they would be essentially kind of outcast from government. Uh, and, and so I, I guess my question is how, would that be determined? Like what level of asset ownership would, would, would deem you part of the owner class? And what's to stop those people from then forming kind of a new revolutionary of discontents? Uh, part two, and I'll remind Wait, you. Let me do part one before I forget it all. Okay. Okay. So kicking those people out, it, it's not uh, about necessarily an, a level it's about the complete abolishment of private property it's about the complete okay. abolishment okay. of private business so if they decide to form a counter-revolution as say uh during the french revolution the rebels in the vendee the very catholic rebels and the very you know royalist supporters they were put down by the central state in paris which was under the uh, governance of the revolutionary government at the time. That is what a strong revolutionary state is for. 
to defend yourself from that counter revolution. Okay, so that was going to be my my second question is which you started to touch upon is in terms of eliminating the concept of ownership, which I am for, um, but in 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 time and in principle, uh, mostly because you know when we have guests like people we have we've had before, and I ask them like how can we assign ownership, property ownership, when it comes to natural resources, when it comes to finite resources on the earth that people depend upon. That, to me, that is a natural aggression. So the non-aggression principle that anarchists are always talking about just doesn't make sense in any way, shape or form to me when, when every product we're using to even talk about this is, is been earned from aggression. Right. But how in, in your mind, what, how do you see the transition? And I've asked you about this before and you've probably answered it before. How are we going to go to a state of non-ownership when so much, like we don't even have rules or laws on the books. We don't have constitutional laws on the books for doing any of this. So legally, um, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of, of just socially, how are we possibly going to litigate getting rid of ownership and, and removing ownership and then making that seem fair in any way, shape or form? I mean, there isn't a litigation. There is total upending of the system. Um, I'll use again, the example of France where, um, the National Assembly gave themselves powers over the king to make the decision on what was right or wrong. Uh, that would be and the same with the Soviet Union. Um, when the, you know, the Tsar resigned and agreed to the provisional government, the Soviets saw the weakness of that provisional government as a chance to move and completely upend everything that had existed before. There is no litigation i don't know that this has to, like i don't want to say uh a leftist revolution in my perfect world has to be violent but i do have to say that it, it again i mentioned material conditions earlier it has to come at the right time um the conditions have to be right for people to actually make these moves it, it won't be litigated through the current system it'll be a day where there's complete acknowledgement that this system is gone and the rules are new. Right. And, and I can see that happening in uh, this century. I think um, the, the failures of, of the current capitalist system are becoming more and more apparent, um, especially with, I think COVID is shining just a huge light on it. And I think as the climate crisis continues, I mean, I, I think it's going to be more and more difficult to defend wasteful private ownership. But I still personally cannot imagine, like what would be, I mean, is, is do you think it will come to a point where eventually a left-wing government actually marshals its law enforcement resource uh, uh, resources to seize the assets of the property holders. Do you see it coming to that? 
I mean, maybe in generations, man. Because yeah. yeah, honestly, and you know, you can probably admit this too. For the foreseeable future, um, the reaction of the majority of the working class here, as it stands right now, especially, at, and we'll we'll say it for what it is, white people, and more of them are being knocked down into like working class or like contractor positions. They're seeing their position, they're seeing their status being lost. Um, more likely in the next few generations, the reaction from that group of people will continue to be right wing. And that, that, that's just the fact of the matter. But, that, but that's, that's a problem in that. It that, is. That, that goes against what you're saying is because we're not going to, we can't have a left wing populist uprising if a, a major fraction of the working class is, is, is indoctrinated towards right wing xenophobia but that is that's that's the importance of making alternative fucking media alternative systems alternative systems of education we we need to educate people in this country to a class interest i mean even in a place as capitalist as england you know most people understand their position whether they belong in like the working class or this like elite group now that's a little bit more easy easy to distinguish because of like things like nobility and shit like that but they still understand like there's this class division you know someone who goes to a public school in the uk understands they have a you know a completely different status in society than someone who's raised in private boarding schools to become an mp you know the fact of the matter is here i think it the if we don't want to see it go that way, you know, I don't like saying it'll go that way and I hope it doesn't go that way. But if we don't want to see it go right, it's on, you know, everybody like us or like uh, who is like-minded with us to educate people on their class interests, because that is the thing that we don't talk about in the United States is class. Well, this also kind of taps into uh, something I just realized I wanted to bring up with you is uh, a point Jimmy Dore was making. So he kind of, as usual, it wouldn't be a week in America where somehow Jimmy fucking Dore right. doesn't become a huge talking point on Twitter. But he had a, a, a Boogaloo boy on his show and kind of went totally down this rabbit hole of saying we have to have a working class left and right movement. And uh, you know, naturally, uh, t- left Twitter was like, "No, nah, you, you moron, you can't work with, you know, uh, bigoted right-wing nationalists on this." And then, uh, you know, I, I honestly like, I don't know how Jimmy Dore has become such a a, a, a bellwether for for leftist thought at this point. But I mean, it's kind of sad to me because honestly, five years ago, like. You know, when I was with Anti Media, I was actually I wrote an article about um, overlaps between left wing and right wing working mm-hmm. uh, uh, revolutionary ideas. Like, you know, four or five points that I think, you know, far left and far right people, and I don't mean alt right people, but but conservative groups, mostly like libertarian conservatives. I mean, look at when we spoke to Roger, the libertarian. I mean, he wasn't. Right. He wasn't but an like, awful person. But I don't you know. know. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know if you can do that now. And partly this is, I, I feel like this isn't our fault because I feel like 
the extreme right wing, uh, not the extreme right wing, the, the regular right wing uh, became kind of uh, beholden to the extreme part of the wing, which, which again, they gaslight people and say that they're not white nationalists, but it's, it's really, it, it, they are. And it's like, they, we can't possibly be expected to be allies with them. It's, mm. that's, that's not a reasonable request. It's not a good thing to do. And the thing is, if you're going to pursue that plan, if any like leftists, you know, en masse are going to pursue that plan, you better have a plan for like day zero when it's you and the white nationalists left alone without the state. Right. And right. I don't think you do. Uh, as much as I hate those motherfuckers, I don't think the left wing has what it takes to fucking be like, all right, it's year zero, buddy. Time to get rid of them. Well, so unless you dominate that. the political conversation as much as the right does, no, you can't ally with them because they clearly, clearly hold the majority opinion and they have a lot more money behind them. Well, and the right is just inherently more autocratic and fascist. I mean, this is just throughout right. history. They're definitely going to kill us before we get to killing which, them. Which is ironic because the left is always the one accused of wanting big government and state control. But really, the, the far left is far more about uh, decentralizing uh, you know, uh, structures. I mean, we want some overarching structure, but we don't want, like, we're not, what's the word? Like, we're not, like, the right wing is so much more, I guess it's a difference between nationalism and uh, nationalism. Worker, worker solidarity. I don't know what the difference well, is. Well, that's what internationalism is. Right. It's realizing like, the working class is a global entity. Right. And so that's America first was partly a, a response to that. And so I just, to me, it's just a, a showstopper. Like I think, I think, you know, I guess just to return to the Jimmy Dore point, I think there's this huge misconception of, of, of any kind of overlap between working class right populism, because they say the right things, but ultimately I don't think that they actually want the same things. I don't think they believe them differently. I remember when we talked to Nick about um, Facebook, you know, his desire was not that Facebook be nationalized. He just wanted like Ted Cruz to be a mod. You know, they don't have the same goals. What they want is they want an advantage position for them. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and like I said, the thing is, you can argue that the left, of course, of course, every side wants the most advantage position. Right, obviously. But I feel like with the right, there is just such an obvious lineage of white nationalism that it's, it's just impossible for me to, like, I really don't view their working class populism is that much more than white people are bitter because even despite of white privilege, they still wound up being losers. Yeah, shit sucks for everybody. That should be the message of the left. <laughs> it fucking sucks for all of us, man. Welcome to the fucking planet. Let's take a quick break, and then I don't know, we'll do a quick wrap up, I guess. We've been talking for a while. All right, yeah. One glad morning when the stuff is over. Her eyes. 
to uh, the closing of this episode of The Left is Dead. Uh, we didn't touch on everything we planned on originally, but I don't know. This was an interesting conversation, man. Yeah, it was. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we we do more free forum kind of shows, especially when it's just me and you. It's uh, we don't really have a, like a but, script or anything. We just kind of like whatever me and you feel like talking about and have the energy for, you know, that's what we kind of go after. I enjoy it because like at the same time, you know, we have a bunch of different guests on here and it also lays out the differences between you and I. Sure. It shows yeah, what no, we I, agree on and what we disagree on really well. I, I love it. It's it's kind of cathartic. It it actually helps me kind of clear my head a little bit. I love I love talking to you about this stuff. And yeah, like we do like I, I do think ultimately we're mostly in agreement. Um sometimes we disagree, but it's you know, less so disagreement and just like me just like being confused about the the logistics and the specifics of things and then also like i mean you're just you just have a better grounding in, in the ideology you're talking about i'm just i'm i'm kind of, i'm a dreamer i guess i'm just a uh, hey you can you come from a weird place man you know you came from a very eclectic collection of like political ideas right well um, yeah i don't know i mean were you ever like a like I was a, you know, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so we were all as, you know, as liberal minded people at the time, we associated with Democrats and we went to, uh, you know, Bill Clinton events. I got to shake his hand when I was a kid. And so, yeah, we always identify as Democrats. Uh, now my, my mother and I, and to a certain extent, my father, we, we've gotten more um, leftists. And, but I don't know, were you ever... Were you ever uh, affiliated with a party? Like, what, what were your politics growing up? I mean, growing up, like, uh, you have to understand that this is um, in the 90s, especially. This is fucking union territory, buddy. Right. This was Democratic Party. You know, this was a solid blue state until really, like, after Obama. This was a huge Democrat state. Um, I have no clue, like, what my father's fucking politics were uh i have no clue what he'd be like now he might be a trump supporter he was like an admirer of him and admirer of him and kind of believed his bullshit and uh maybe it's best that he passed away before i found out but um my yeah. mom i'm sorry i didn't know that oh no 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 worries but my mom definitely like um and I'll say this in, in general, uh, Bernie Sanders did make the suburbs slightly like more tolerable to live in. If you understand what I'm saying. Um, people open to like just ideas that like healthcare shouldn't cost you fucking $900 for like a Tylenol, you know? Um, people, um, people who've been shit most of my life even when i like really started developing my views early on because i i don't know i got into marks at like fucking 17 18 and shit so people who've been real shit towards my ideas for a long time and that you know it includes my mom who like hates me like dogging on the democratic party and still does to some extent to this day but i'll give like sanders some credit that just common sense fucking ideas that you shouldn't you know you should make a wage that can afford housing or 
that you shouldn't go bankrupt for having to go to the doctor. Like those ideas infiltrating into like regular working class, like suburban society have been a real benefit for like my mental health. Right. Yeah. I, I would say that is probably going to be Bernie Sanders legacy is uh, for lack of a better word, um, blue, blue pilling like an entire generation of, of the working class and giving them a, giving them a side to be on. Yeah. Even my mom and like her friends who are like, they're like literal boomers. You know what I mean? Like my, my mom is old for my age. I'm 30, but my mom is fucking 70. She's born oh, 48. Yeah. Me, me and me and you, I mean, my, yeah, my father is 77 and my mom is 73. Yeah. So and she was part of like the hippie fucking movement and all that kind of shit. Um, actually, she was associated with um, the MC Five and like the White Panthers and shit in Detroit, you know, before the riots and everything. So she was like a radical in her young years, and then was just kind of a, a fall in line like passive Democrat. But Bernie definitely opened up ideas of like. You know, like I'd have arguments with her where she'd be like, well, uh, I think I might vote Joe Biden because he's the more reasonable one. You know, we talked about this during the primary and I was like, well, you think Medicare for all is possible, right? And like, she's like, yes. I was like, so why are you voting for the candidate who says like, no, it's not. And he's literally telling you, you can't have it. If he wins the primary, he wins it. But like, you don't put your vote in the primary on somebody who's literally telling you something you know is possible can't happen. Right, right. Well, no, and I think that's a really important point. I I think especially with boomers, um, left-leaning boomers, I think there, there seems to me to be a very, I mean, there's a huge number of Bernie boomers, obviously, but I think there's... I think there is a larger majority of of boomers who, you know, saw what happened after the 60s, saw how all of the momentum and and revolutionary zeal of the 60s was ultimately appropriated by the state. And, uh, you know, know, they, you know, kind of killed a movement that at the time they thought they were going to change the world. So I think there's a very real sense in which a lot of boomers are just kind of, uh, you know, jaded is not the right word, but they're just kind of like uh, system weary. And they're basically just like, okay, let's just not go backwards. Let's, let's just, you know, we, we've seen the civil rights movement yeah. rolled back to such an extent that let, let's just let's just stay the course until our generation ties until out. Until we die, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's definitely one aspect. And I also think there's the aspect of, like, uh, the boomer who wears their fucking Vietnam hat everywhere, <laughs> who is convinced that the 60s went too far. Like, that's the Trump boomer. You know, the one who's fucking super pissed. And thinks that like 1968 was a mistake. And it's funny. I I think there's a lot more of them around than people realize. Yeah, I definitely think so. And my my father was in Vietnam and he's, uh, he leans more to where me and my mom are. He's definitely a a more moderate. Uh, He's probably the example of what I was just talking about of, of, of pragmatism. But, um, 
yeah, he he he's kind of that Kerry style Democrat of like went went to the war and then came out and is skeptical of the whole thing in the state. But it seems so many the problem is so it, like foreign policy is is so distinct from what what has happened because essentially we've seen this kind of neoliberalist uh, like corporatocracy structure kind of absorb um, the same way that the 60s kind of appropriated, you know, the revolutionary zeal of that time. Right. You know, we're seeing the same thing happen now, which is that corporations, which are a greater manifestation of government now than they ever were, are now absorbing that same language. And we're seeing oh, yeah. these movements like basically tied back into the state and needing needing the state no it's a shame like it's a shame that to see you know um i don't like seeing people fall for like oh mastercard put out a black lives matter ad or like i got a wells fargo ad on facebook about like how they're investing in black businesses and like this is the bank that was charged for like defrauding a bunch of customers and starting fake accounts exactly it's so disingenuous and yeah that's neoliberalism it eats everything yeah everything is a commodity and that you know that's like something that is something marx speaks about heavily is everything can be commodified well neo the neoliberal establishment we have at least is completely and totally devoted to and obsessed with the class structure and the, Mar- the Marxist argument is, is, you know, working against, you know, it's, it's working more towards a classless society, you know? So it's just a completely different view of leftism. Um, well, it's, it's insane to me that like the right gets so mad about like um, an ad with like a gay couple or something. Like these companies are literally doing this because this is they project this to be the most appealing to the widest audience base this has nothing to do with how they feel you know this is complete opportunism and the left the left shouldn't know like you know anyone who calls themselves a leftist shouldn't buy into it either yeah i mean we just have to kind of slowly teach people that what we're dealing with now is not particularly new. Um, this, I mean, we're, we're in a kind of neo-feudalist society right now, except instead of the church and the state being the, the organizers of the class at the top of the pyramid, we have this kind of like, you know, quasi-corporatist uh, system where, it, but it's still, essentially running the state kind the same kind of it's we're still kind of in a feudalist society right now i can't say it enough anyone who listens to this read marx and read lenin these things repeat themselves right you know this is my argument against libertarians you know this system of exploitation arises again and again and again it just keeps coming Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's going it's to keep happening. Um, but, you know, yeah. So to a certain extent, I mean, all, all we can do is just talk about it and marvel over, over, over how people can be so beholden 
to this, this, the, so devoted to the same structures that are exploiting them. You know, it's just incredible. The best we can do is just keep educating people. And I guess that's probably a good place for us to end this one. You know? Yep. All right. So let me plug. We have uh, a SoundCloud, obviously. We are available on Apple Podcasts. We are available on Spotify. Um, Check out The Left is Dead on Facebook. Uh, Updated now, we also have a Discord server. So if you're interested in joining, uh, email us at theleftisdead420 at gmail or message us on Facebook, and we have a Twitch stream that I will be running. So if you want more content, uh, follow the page. We have a Telegram channel now too, which I will post to the Facebook page, but I will be producing more content for us and I'll make Jake get involved as we go on here. (laughs) Yeah. Sound good, buddy? Sounds good, man. Yeah, always always good talking to you. Yeah, this is a good conversation, man. And uh, we'll be back. Actually, we'll be back next week with uh, my friend Arturo, uh, again, a member of the Popular Socialist Party of Mexico and a lecturer in Germany. And he will be talking about um, the Trump policies towards Mexico as well as what he predicts the future Biden policies towards Mexico will be and the presidency of AMLO. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, that sounds really great. So yeah, we'll be back next week with that one. Well, I am somebody's bunghole and I'm no big deal. Well, I can play.